Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. We're going to begin with a story that I've received so many emails on to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. And that is the arrest of the Calgary skating rink. An arrest of a 21-year-old man who challenged bylaw officers and police, eventually taken to the ground, cuffed and charged. And according to a 12-year-old witness who filmed the goings-on, his skates were cut from his feet. Tom Stamatakis is about to join us, the president of the Police Association of Canada, or the Canadian Police Association, the CPA. But before we do that, I know everyone in Alberta is very much aware of this story, the rest of the country increasingly aware. Let me play for you the audio of a report by Jill Croto from Global News in Alberta. Have a listen. It's an inviting outlet for anybody anxious to get outside. But on Thursday afternoon, this southwest rink wasn't the place to take in a pleasant pastime. What may have started out as a skate turned into rinkside rage. These police are handcuffing me. We're outside. This is our lives. We're f***ing humans. We can f***ing do whatever we want. Like, look at this. This incident started when bylaw officers responded to reports of 40-plus people crowding the Southwood Community Rink and Skate Park. 12-year-old Ryan Sanabar was skating nearby and captured parts of the encounter on video. A peace officer came, he sat in his car for a bit, then he got out, he come told the skateboarders that we have to go and that we're not allowed being there. And then just, we all refused. Where's our freedom? Where's our freedom? Where is it? Where is it? What kind of f***ing life do we live in? Everyone look at this. This is f***ed. What did this guy do? Why is he laying on the ground with six tops on the ground? I'm so sorry. For ice skating on the rink? Really? They had him on the ground for at least like six minutes, just frozen, cutting his skates off with a knife. Ryan's mom saw the video and doesn't condone the disrespect, but doesn't agree with the police tactics. I think it was overboard, too much. Um, it was extreme. I think they should have talked to the children first, uh, explained to them why the bylaws are in place. Police say they repeatedly asked for compliance, but said the one individual became confrontational and refused to leave or identify himself. That's when things turned physical. We are seeing our officers continually put in these almost untenable positions where they have to defuse these situations or support by law. And what's happening is, and just the reality of it through our lens, is good people are trying to find pieces of what they want to do in a changing environment. And it is stressing people to the max. A 21-year-old was charged with obstructing an officer, resisting arrest, and violating the Public Health Act. Jill Croteau, Global News. So there's the uh, report from Jill Croto. Before I talk to Tom Stamatakis, I just want to play back for you a little bit of that report and just the part from 12-year-old Ryan Sanabar, 12 years old, filmed this. And here's, again, what Ryan said. A peace officer came, he sat in his car for a bit. Then he got out, he come told the skateboarders that we have to go and that we're not allowed being there. And then just, we all refused. Where's our freedom? Where's our freedom? Where is it? Where is it? What kind of f***ing life do we live in? Everyone look at this. This is f***ed. What did this guy do? Why is he laying on the ground with six tops on the ground? I'm so sorry. For ice skating on the rink? Really? They had him on the ground for at least like six minutes, just frozen, cutting his skates off with a knife. It's tough to listen to. You listen to that 12-year-old voice, and what he saw, and what he's taking with him, it's tough. People want to do things, to be outside and skate. Tom Stamatakis is the president of the Canadian Police Association. 
joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Tom, that's tough to listen to, isn't it? Well, these are always difficult situations, and uh, and yeah, there's always um, there are challenges um, in the current environment. Um, trying to balance the need to enforce uh, well-communicated public health orders against uh, people needing to, um, you know, get out and, and try and make the best of a very difficult situation. What are you hearing from your members? We heard the uh, Calgary police representative say that uh, it's an untenable situation for police officers, and I can't imagine that it is anything but untenable. If you're called to a situation like that in Calgary, and are you a police officer? And do you do you are you mandate mandated to employ standard operating procedures, or do you have some leeway as to how you deal with the situation? Well, police officers in Canada, you know, always have discretion to uh, use their lawful authorities in whatever way is appropriate in in a particular set of circumstances. But it is particularly challenging right now, given that we have a number of public health orders. We're in the middle of a pandemic where people's health is being compromised and we're seeing people die every day. Uh, we're, we're stuck in that situation where when these public health orders aren't being followed and where uh, enforcement action becomes necessary, uh, whether it's by a bylaw officer or some other person with the lawful authority to, to, to enforce those public health orders, where where there's a conflict it's the police that are called and you know we're stuck in this place where we're having to work at a time when you know health officials are telling everyone else not to go to work and to stay home and then on top of that you get into these difficult situations where people don't want to listen to the advice of our uh, uh, public health authorities and and yeah it creates this really terrible situation and i i will say that the police have taken an approach right across the country that that emphasizes you know educating people, trying to get them to comply, um, to reason with them. Unfortunately, there are those cases, and they're not many, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say, but there are cases where people just won't won't uh, cooperate, and, and, and it results in this kind of a conflict. So you have a 21-year-old, and you weren't there, and I wasn't there, but we heard Ryan, uh, the uh, little fellow, uh, Ryan, describe what he saw, and, and his mom. And uh, his mom said she didn't approve of the uh, confrontational language of the individual who was taken to the ground. And um, he, he was on the ground for six minutes, according to uh, to Ryan. And is it, was it absolutely necessary to, to do this, to take him to the ground, to cuff him, to cut his skates off his feet? Was that something that was... I mean, when does that become necessary? At what point can you say, look, the guy's losing it, he was skating here, he's having a bad moment, we'll just let him go? <laughs> How do you choose well, between the two? You know, look, these are difficult situations and they're hard to watch, particularly when you're a person who's not typically in that situation, who doesn't understand perhaps what the public health orders are, perhaps what the lawful authority of a police officer is in those circumstances. Uh, so it's tough. Um, that individual had the opportunity at any time to comply and cooperate, and that incident would have been over. Clearly, uh, he didn't, and the officers felt in the circumstances that they had to they had to enforce the public health orders. Like I said before, we've got people who have their their health is being compromised. We've got there are reports of how many people are dying in this country every single day. It's not really an option to say, look, we've got these public health orders and we're in the middle of a pandemic, but hey, if you don't want to cooperate, we're just going to walk away and we're not going to enforce the public health orders. I don't think that's what the public want. And unfortunately, in those rare cases where you have someone like this individual who, who chooses not to cooperate, even after a lot of dialogue, uh, ultimately you have to take some enforcement action because everything in our society works because of the rule of law, because people follow the the rules at the time and right now in the middle of a pandemic it's even more important to comply with with some of the public health orders or the you know i'm you know i'm a big supporter out there tom you know i'm a big supporter of police in canada i have been all my life you do a very very difficult job and you do it exceedingly well in in the vast majority of circumstances but i can't help but look at this situation and say to myself what would have been so bad if this guy had just been allowed to blow off steam and go. We've talked about it. Let me ask you this. Are you hearing from your members across Canada that it's exceedingly difficult for them to do their jobs now because they're facing circumstances such as this, which they normally wouldn't? 
Look, our, our, our police officers are resolving these kinds of issues um, 99% of the time uh, without incident, without any fanfare, without any attention. I mean, last year, police officers responded to 13.5 million calls for service, and, and the vast majority of those are resolved uh, without any, any notice at all. That's the approach our police officers are taking. There are occasions, though, where we're resolving um, situations peacefully without incident are unavoidable, and and unfortunately, in those cases, then police officers have to use their you know their their training and the lawful authorities they have to to take the appropriate action. And in this case, uh, you know, the result wasn't easy to watch, and it's something that everyone hopes to avoid in every case. Uh, but unfortunately, in this case, it was unavoidable. Emails are coming in furiously. Kevin writes, and some of these opinions are extremely direct. Hi, Roy. Are any of these Calgary police or peace officers over 21 children with tasers and glocks arresting children in skates? What joke. Uh, Bev writes, I can understand the police representative trying to protect the police, but the police in Canada are beginning to act like another time, another place. What else do we have here? Um, uh, they're coming in so quickly, they're just climbing over each other. I'll get to some more emails shortly. Make, let me get to your calls. Your view of the incident in Calgary, how much of this has to do with people completely fed up and emotionally drained? Do you support the police? who, as Calgary police said, find themselves, and Tom Stamatek has said, find themselves in untenable situations. Let's start in Alberta and Big Valley and Simon. Simon, go ahead, please. Hello, Roy. Um, yes, sir. You know, I'm a, I, I support the police, and uh, I have police officer friends, and they're telling me that the Crown prosecutors are telling them, don't bring, in, don't bring charges to us that you can deal with, uh, you know, on the street. If you can deal with them, fine. So, obviously, the situation in Calgary, if it got to the point where the police officers were to deal with it and finally just can't deal with it, then you got to bring the charge. you got to make the arrest. Okay, but so you... The you... in a way, is, is kind of falling apart because there's a lot of people still out there who realize that the police are overloaded. The crowns are... And the, so, so, wait, hold on a sec. Hold on a second, Simon. So, I hear you saying that you agree the police are facing an untenable situation. They're oh, in the absolutely. middle. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Let us stay in Alberta and talk to Kelly, who's in Calgary. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Roy. Love the show. Thank you. I agree with uh, Tom. What was his name again? Stamatakis. Yes, I agree with him. They do an awesome job from what I've seen. So your thoughts on that particular situation that happened in your city is what? Were police doing only what they had to do because they were, they were, they were acting under essentially under orders? Uh, yes, I would agree with that. Actually, okay, they did right. their best under the situations or under the circumstances they were set under. Okay, appreciate your call. Thank you. Eight hundred two six three twenty four twenty eight. I'm just wondering how many stories we might hear over Christmas. If people visit their families and friends, will we be hearing stories like this? Bill is in Toronto on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, listening to AM640. Hey, Bill. I, I watched about 30 minutes of this video on YouTube before I even turned into your show. And it, it's appalling. The epic fail on so many levels. To pull a taser out on basically a, a kid, in my mind, 21 years old, and pointed at him. What's this country come to? Do you know what I found very difficult to listen to? Was uh, the uh, the young lad whose uh, video we uh, we heard when he said when uh, when Ryan said, and they cut off his skates. The way he said that that was hard to hear. That those words they cut off his skates. I can just stay that, see that staying with that young man for life. Well, I'll give them that. The thing is, if they're arresting somebody, a pair of skates on you, I mean, they could do some damage. Well, I understand. So, well, I mean, you could kick somebody with a pair of skates. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I'm not going to fault the officers for that. 
But here's one thing I will fault the officers for. There were big, burly men there, and this guy was not a small guy. And what they do, they set two women on him that were basically half his size, and one of the women's got a taser pointed at the guy. Oh, this is this is COVID uh, control is pointing a taser at somebody. Yeah, probably standard operating procedure, though, Bill. I appreciate you calling Toronto. But emails are just pouring into Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Jordan uh, writes, responding to the hockey thing in Calgary, canceling outdoor activities to stop COVID is stupid. In Toronto, where I live, all parks were closed in the GTA, and it made no difference at all. Restricting movement and outdoor activity is the real issue here. Thanks. We have a text coming in. Uh, Can you please tell the 12-year-old boy filming that he is a hero? Canada loves you. Let's have a listen to uh, the young man again. A peace officer came. He sat in his car for a bit. Then he got out. He come told the skateboarders that we have to go and that we're not allowed being there. And then just we all refused. Where's our freedom? Where's our freedom? Where is it? Where is it? What kind of f***ing life do we live in? Everyone look at this. This is f***ed. What did this guy do? Why is he laying on the ground with six cops around him? I'm so sorry. Ice skating on the rink? Really? They had him on the ground for at least like six minutes, just frozen, cutting his skates off with a knife. Merrill Lee sends an email. Did you hear him say that? The way he said it. Cutting his skates off with a knife. You know the impression that made of that child. Merrill Lee sends an email. 21-year-old is not a child. I wish people would stop saying that police are arresting children on the skating rink. People need to cooperate with police. Full stop. And uh, Jordan writes, responding to the hockey thing. Oh, did I write that? I read that already. Um, yeah. They're just coming in so fast, so furiously. Uh, Kim, uh, hi Roy, I don't know if you've seen the video. Yes, I have. I found it horrifying. The man was threatened with a taser. It was a complete overreaction by police, and for the first time in my entire life, I'm now fearful of the authorities in this country. Okay. Let me get back to your calls, and, uh, where are we going? Alberta, Corey. Hey, Corey, go ahead, please, sir. Hey, Roy, how are you today? I'm well, sir. How are you doing? Good. Well, I feel that situation could have been handled a whole lot different, but, I mean, the police are under extreme pressures right now, and I think the way they're acting, they're finding more and more people are going to start retaliating against them, and it's not going to turn out to be good for them in the end. Yeah, I think you're going to find uh, police are going to be tested as people become more irritated. I've never, I shouldn't say never, I've very seldom seen an inflow of emails to the extent that I'm seeing now, Corey. It's just absolutely mind-boggling how many people have an opinion. And I'm not sure it's just really about this issue. I think this issue may be the fuse for the bigger issue of how we're all starting to suffer as far as our psychological health is concerned. Oh, I absolutely agree with you there. And the other part of that situation, too, is, I mean, your guest from the CPA said they got to uphold the law well. Where's the upholding the law when it comes to the Prime Minister? I mean, all <laughs> That's a good point. Away, but there's been no law upheld there. That's a good point. If we think back to April when Mr. Trudeau urged everybody to stay home at Easter and then he drove or was driven to the family cottage in uh, in Quebec, it's okay for him, not, not okay for us. That's Thanks for the call, Corey. I appreciate it. I said, uh, I tweeted out a few weeks ago, just sort of facetiously, but perhaps we should put ankle bracelets on politicians so we can track their whereabouts at Christmas to make sure we know where they are. It was just, it was a joke. John in Oshawa, Ontario. How are you, John? Good afternoon, sir. First time caller, long time listener. Thank you so much. Um, everything in Durham here is doing pretty good, uh, low counts. But you know what? I go out a lot with my nephew. I go for hikes through the woods here in Durham, go for walks. Some people wear masks, some don't. In the woods, in the middle of nowhere. When two police officers have to take a guy down because he won't wear a mask in the open, why didn't they go for all these people that were in Ottawa, all these mechanically challenged children who were trying to take down a statue of Johnny McDonald? took them half an hour to do it, and the police are just sitting there watching them. And right now in Toronto, there's a big parade going on with a Santa and hundreds of people running around without masks protesting. Cops aren't doing nothing. You see, it's easy to take one guy down that's really emotionally stressed out and upset, but don't go against the BLM or the Antifas 
in their hundreds when they're really angry because you don't want to be accused of being a racist or being a well you know know, john i'm not just jumping in because you said blm or antifa I, i think what happens is when there are significant numbers of people around Perhaps in some cases it happens, and I shouldn't say perhaps. In fact, I would I would judge it as happening that's, that, that that officials take choose the path of least resistance exactly. because because they they have a concern. I, I would think I'm not a cop, I'm not a an enforcement officer, but I would think that their concern would be if we react where there are hundreds of people who are already on edge, it's just going to get a lot worse. In closing, I know you're busy, but you know they can take down a father skating with his kids. On a on a sidewalk or in a in Oakville, lot. Ontario. You know, yeah. uh, but just I could not be a police officer today, having to put up with this, being told to enforce okay. laws. If I was in the woods with my nephew hiking, and a bylaw officer walked up to me and said, "Put on a mask," I would have some superlatives to say and keep <laughs> you, on walking. You might want to ask the bylaw officer why he's in the woods. Thank you, or <laughs> thank you for the call. What are they doing in the woods? Get out where you belong. Do your work. Uh, Chris in London, Ontario. How are you, Chris? Uh, not too bad at all. We're we're good here. Yeah, things are not so bad in uh, in your neck of the woods, are they? Uh, well, actually, we're it's we're red uh, red zone here, and it's, I guess anything short of gray is considered these days to be not so bad. This is it. I'm I'm happy that I can go out. I'm I, I won't complain. What's your thinking about the situation in Calgary? Um, it's it's mixed. I, I I appreciate that the police have got a difficult job i don't appreciate the way they're being trained to do it and the policies that they're having to follow when they're doing it um i again going back i'm kind of an old guy and i go back to where a lot of my friends were police officers and uh, i pretty well brought my kids up to say that the police are your friends and i had actually had to have a talk with uh, one son after uh, kind of a situation where I had to kind of take that back and say, look, forget what I said. Okay, Chris, uh, I'm sorry to move you along, but I have to just for the interest of time, the sake of time and all the callers. Yep. So you're taking what position here? Are you sort of, the, you're the in the idea, middle moving you, back and forth? Uh, no, I'm, uh, the idea that the police now have to control, dominate, and basically uh, drive down any resistance is not what I, uh, what, that's not what I grew up with. Okay. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Uh, Surrey, British Columbia. Jim, go ahead, please, Jim. Uh, hi, Roy. Good morning. Um, you know, this has to start from the top down. When we have a government, in, in, in my opinion, in my 62 years, I've never seen a government so disrespectful and negligent as I've seen this PMO. And when they, when they start doing things like this, it will not end well for the police. They're in a terrible position here. I support the police, but they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. Many people are so frustrated with what's going on and so mm-hmm. on edge. And uh, you So know, do you then believe that, that public officials, elected representatives of the people, are doing a less than stellar job in communicating what has to be done and what should be done? Do you think we're being treated with less than, less than respect? I, where do you stand on that? I absolutely do think that way. And if you look at what the Trudeau government has done over the last five and a half, six years, it's been deplorable as anybody in, in the, at the RCMP okay. questioned okay. any of that. Okay, hang on. I don't want to do the last five and a half years. I've been doing it for five and a half years, Jim. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> spare me this, please. But it is, you're right, police are, thank you very much for your call. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a tough position tough situation police find themselves in but this issue this story this incident is acting as a lightning rod for opinion and uh i'm trying to read emails to you but they're just flying across the screen so quickly i can't even stop them let's try this one dorothy no one has commented on the fact that the boy said the police said everyone should leave and then he said well we all said no they're trying to do their job but no one wants to follow the rules It's not that simple. It is not that simple. So what's the reality just days before Christmas when many, perhaps most small businesses in this country, 
would have generated a major portion of their yearly budget. Dan Kelly is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, representing small and medium-sized businesses at CFIB.ca. And I think I've spent more time on the air with Dan Kelly than anyone else in the last 10 months. And Dan, thank you uh, for spending all the time with us and the great job you do representing your constituency, and that's the small business community in this country. So here we are, 20th of December. We're just a few days away from Christmas. What's the general state of health of the small business community nationally? It is very perilous. Uh, Small businesses, as you were just mentioning, really are hanging by a thread. And it looks like with additional lockdowns being announced province by province, the thread is being cut. Uh, these businesses, many of them are just not going to survive this next round of restrictions related to the second wave. It's so sad because, you know, we can all sense with the, with vaccines on the horizon that the, the end of, the end of the battle may be near, but it's like those, you know, I, I feel for our members, it's almost like those, uh, those folks at the end of the, you know, they're, as the war is concluding, end up getting shot on the battlefield. And, and that's, I think, how a lot of small business owners are feeling. They don't have the horsepower, nor are the, nor are the support programs significant enough to help them last until the vaccines kick in and, and we can start to resume normal uh, face-to-face activity. That's, that's, it's, it's a very sad Christmas, a very sad holiday for millions of business owners across the country, uh, with so many of them bracing themselves for a dark three months ahead. Uh, and I, I worry that there'll be loads and loads more that are just not going to make it. So the numbers we talked about, or you, you mentioned to us, about small businesses that may not make it ranged anywhere, and I'm going back a few months now, ranged anywhere from fifty to 60,000 to over 200,000. Is there a, I hate to ask this, but is there a more firm number that is of great concern? I mean, how many yeah. businesses do you think we'll lose? Our original estimate at CFIB, based on the data we collect, we've been collecting data at the beginning of the pandemic every week, uh, and in more recent uh, times, every two weeks or a month. Uh, and, and our estimate, uh, sort of midway through things, was that there would be 160,000. Uh, the, the mean, uh, the average was 160,000 permanent business fatalities. Uh, that's one in seven small firms closing their doors, small firms with employees. So we now are expecting that that could even be uh, larger, and we're at we at CFIB are going to be coming out in the very early in the new year with some new numbers. There have been, of course, thousands of business fatalities already, uh, but what I really worry about is a lot of business owners that have been hanging on, trying to use their credit cards and personal loans and friends and family's money to be able to hang on. That has really run out. Uh, there are a few good programs out there, some that are just coming on stream right now, and that may help a few more survive, things like the rent rent subsidy and the SIBA loan program. But for thousands more, that rem- these, those programs remain out of reach. They're disqualified for all sorts of really thin reasons from governments. And with provinces pushing more into lockdown, I, I worry that that original estimate you and I have spoken about many times, Roy, could just go sky high. Now, there are concerns as well about SIBA, are there not? There are. Look, uh, the SIBA loan program has been a really good one. The government did move quickly together with the banks, and 800,000 businesses near the beginning of the pandemic uh, received a loan of $40,000. Government guaranteed, and one of the nice features is that if you if you borrow 40000 you only have to repay 30000 uh, of that loan, uh, and the other ten would be forgiven. That we've said that that 40000 that looked good if the pandemic was going to be a few months is starting to wear thin. The business owners have long used it. So we've been pushing for months at CFIB to get the government to expand it. They finally did. Uh, and I credit uh, Christy Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, and Mary Ng, the Small Business Minister, for moving on that. Um, it's about now been raised to 60000 So you could you can take out another twenty, and you get to keep 10000 of it if you re- if you repay the balance. Unfortunately, though, the, the program just kicked in. Business owners have been applying in large numbers, but we're starting to hear from thousands of business owners that are getting letters from their bank saying that they have not been successful in getting a loan. Most business owners have read that and interpreted it as that they have their 
loan has been rejected. They got the first one, but they're getting denied for the second is their interpretation. I just want to clarify to your listeners who are business owners that there is some potential good news. Those letters are not rejections. It's, it, there's, they're basically being put on hold. That has its own source of hell for business owners who need the money today, but we're expecting uh, the government to announce some plans in, in January that would have these loans reconsidered uh, with some potential success for business owners uh, early into the new year. So hold out business owners. There, there may be some additional relief. 20000 is not a lot of money if you're losing money hand over fist every day, but it certainly could help some survive the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One more question for you. Uh, you have spoken a lot about lockdowns, and you have urged governments to be careful, very careful, with lockdowns. And I know it's been extremely frustrating for for you at the CFIB and for small business owners to see box stores being open, and yet your members are closed. Just as I have been receiving emails from listeners over the last hour saying, so we're going to cause, uh, have concern about 40 people skating out in the open, but we don't have problems with, you know, 1,000 people in a mall, so... I mean, it, there are times that common sense runs up against the solid wall. What should have been done? You know, business owners, for the most part, get that there are that there is a need for restrictions even now. Uh, many of them were incredibly understanding of the original reasons for the lockdown. Many of those reasons remain. However, they want to make sure that these, this is being done fairly. Uh, Ontario, in fact, is the only province that has this stupid policy of closing independent businesses and yet allowing people to continue to go to Walmart and Costco. Uh, It's the only province. Every other province has found a pathway to to either limit all retailers, including uh, Walmart and Costco, or allow a much, much limited uh, capacity to serve customers in-store in all retailers. Uh, Alberta has the most stringent restriction in that respect. It only allows to serve up to 15% of former customer volume. We would much prefer one of those approaches. But, you know, it's it's more than just big box stores right now. And this is true of all provinces. Governments have said, okay, you got to stay home. You can't go out shopping. Let's just, you know, but you can order online. And then there are stories out this week that show that the Amazon warehouse uh, in just east of Toronto has had over 400 COVID cases. So there's very little evidence that, that retail shopping is a source of spread, and those retailers yet are closed down in most jurisdictions or severely limited. Yet not just big box stores remaining open in most markets, but, but pushing people to sell to buy online may protect the customer from COVID spread, but it's creating outbreaks of huge numbers among employees. And I... I, I I suggested uh, earlier this week that it looks like we may be shutting down the wrong end of retail. And I think Saskatchewan actually has a sensible policy. It has tighter restrictions on big box stores, busier stores, and fewer restrictions, still some, on small businesses. That, to me, the Saskatchewan government, uh, while they're going into some heavier restrictions soon, they they have really tried to get the balance right. Okay. Uh, Dan, thank you for everything you've done this year. We probably will end up speaking with you next weekend anyway, but uh, or disturb you or try to catch you. But you've done a tremendous job, and you're doing a tremendous job representing the small and medium-sized business community in this country in a very difficult time. Wish you the best Christmas possible. Roy, and if I can just add, quickly add, you've done an awesome service to entrepreneurs and those that care about small business owners by talking about this. You're one of very few that has gone deep on aspects of this story, particularly for new businesses and others that that really have found in you a champion. And I just want to say happy holidays and thank you to you for for, uh, making this happen. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dr. Gil Nimney generated a lot of attention on Friday when he tweeted this. He's a ER duct in Toronto. I can't help but shake my head tonight. I just finished my shift at the COVID-19 assessment center at my hospital. I decided to walk through my ER on my way to the change room, empty. I shake my head at my colleagues who go on Twitter and TV, ranting about how our ER is crazy. Uh, that tweet was what then withdrawn, and uh, today Dr. Nimney tweeted this. I want to clarify the intent of my original tweet that received a lot of attention. Unfortunately, my message was hijacked by some, and the real intent of the message was lost. In no way was it meant to disparage my fellow frontline workers or minimize the hard work of everyone. Now, I was in contact with Dr. Nimney earlier today. We had hoped to have him on the air with Dr. Neil Rao, Infectious Diseases Specialist, Halton Region of Ontario, Professor at the University of Toronto School of Medicine. Um, Dr. Nimney has a family issue and cannot join us, but Dr. Rao is with us. So, uh, Dr. Rao, thank you for coming back on the program. What was it particularly that, uh, that, that you agree with that you saw in that tweet from uh, Dr. Nimney? Well, it's even more what he said on radio the same day, that we have to look at the harms of lockdowns and the other harms that are not COVID-related. We can't look at everything through a COVID lens. I think he was saying a lot of the same things that some other people like myself have been saying through all of this. So the what I heard you say before, and what I gather that Dr. Nemni would like to see, and hopefully we can have you both on together next, uh, next weekend, a balanced approach. Remind us what balanced approach really consists of. Well, balanced approach is looking at more than just COVID. Uh, it's looking at the ancillary harms of everything we are doing to try and prevent the community spread of this virus. When we shut down businesses, uh, when we shut down gyms, when we stop every type of social interaction or almost every type of social interaction, there are other harms that emanate from that. People lose their livelihoods. Businesses are shut down and never recover from those shutdowns, even if they're given a bit of assistance, even if people are given assistance. When people can't go to a gym and work out in the middle of the winter, their weight gets worse, and that can have other health effects. If they have diabetes, it's very bad for them. If, they're, if they have risk of heart disease, it's bad for them. And if this goes on for months and months on end, not being able to work out in a safe space indoors uh, is actually bad for your health. We always tell people to exercise. Suddenly they can't exercise. How are they going to exercise if it's cold outside? If they're older, how are they going to exercise without falling and breaking their hip? There's a whole bunch of very logical but unfortunate consequences of these repressive measures that people don't think about. The worst thing I'm seeing of all right now is that we keep making mistakes in terms of leveling restrictions, and when they don't work, we increase restrictions even more rather than reappraising what are we actually achieving through what we're doing. So the example is Ottawa went the other way and started relaxing restrictions, and their numbers haven't taken off. Toronto went another direction from stage two modified into lockdown or stage one modified, and the numbers keep going up. And it's because the numbers are going up for reasons that don't have to do with people going to restaurants or gyms. It has to do with distribution warehouses, meatpacking plants, food distribution warehouses, uh, people living in high-density uh, apartment buildings or multi-generational households in certain parts of the city. So you're going to have a very different trajectory in Toronto simply because of those factors. And closing restaurants and gyms isn't really going to give you much return on your investment, trying to level the cur- to flatten the curve to reduce the number of new infections per day. And yet, let me let me let me just read you a let me just read you the first line from a Global News story. Uh, I don't know if you heard this. Global News has learned the Ontario government is currently planning to implement a province-wide lockdown beginning Christmas Eve, 28 days. I know. I saw this, and that's why I'm saying it. It's just, here we go again. We're going to make it even worse. Instead of really looking at what works, the better answer is to create capacity in the healthcare system. If it's strained, it always is strained at this time of year, by the way, but let's say this is worse than usual, and let's be objective in terms of how we measure it. We can do something about that which would cost a lot less money and a lot, lot less societal harm than try to control the spread of the virus. People are already doing a lot of things. People are wearing masks. People are physically distancing. 
numerous businesses are already not functioning. We don't have to add insult to injury, but we keep doubling down on a mistake. I don't understand this. There's a global pattern like this, unfortunately, but it's becoming very clear that increasing restrictions doesn't give a return on dividends, unless you make this Melbourne, Australia, where we have curfews and people don't leave their houses, which is really, really repressive. And it's not sustainable. And once you lift it, it will come back. You're just moving the dates. So how much um, hope do you have for the vaccines that are being rolled out? So I'm optimistic about the vaccines, but they're not going to affect the trajectory. They're too late to be available to do that. Probably we're going to reach the peak of this in the next month or two in terms of measuring it by number of people being admitted to hospital and number of people dying per day, which is sad. But once that number starts to drop, you've already reached the peak, and that's going to happen well before we can get to most of the vulnerable people for this wave. Maybe if there's a third fall wave, as there is a seasonal element to this virus, we will have protected those people. I think we should move as quickly as possible with vaccination. The uh, different preparations of vaccines becoming available is very encouraging. We already have three worldwide. We've had some first doses go into people's arms in Canada. I hope that happens even more and more. But relying on that as the magic bullet to solve this problem is not going to be good enough. And trying to suppress the virus through repressive community restrictions isn't working. Going into more lockdown province-wide is not going to move the needle unless we pull a Melbourne-Australia model, which is really austere. Is it your sense that there's a significant percentage of um, the medical population, doctors in Canada, who would agree with what you're saying? and challenge the Premier, and challenge the Premiers and the Prime Minister. I can say I'm not the majority yet, but I'm, there's a very sizable, large minority, like 30 40% of doctors don't agree with this, and people are scared to speak out. People are subjected to a calumny in social media or elsewhere for not having the party view, which I think is sad. I think we have to find some balance, and we also have to learn from mistakes. It's okay for politicians to say, we tried something, but now we've learned this doesn't work. You don't have to serve people in paper plates at a restaurant to control COVID. Maybe we can stop doing that. We don't okay. have to start sanitizing every surface because that's not really how the virus is spread. Right. Like, I, I have to, I've just had, I've had an unusual day and uh, I have to jump in here. And I uh, thank you for the time and thank you for your patience with us today. Thanks for having me. Let's look at uh, what's happening in this country. We are being told, we're being strongly urged to stay home, stay by ourselves, stay within our households for Christmas and New Year's. And now the lockdown is going to happen in the province of Ontario. Different provinces have different rules. Um, So we're being told to stay home for Christmas. And we already know that people are struggling. We've heard this more than once. That people are, are uh, and we do have confirmation that we have that interview for 4.30, um, that people are struggling mentally. The Their mental health is being affected by everything that's gone on during the pandemic. The, the various restrictions, uh, we know the small business community is hurting. We know the kids are hurting. We've heard it all. Well, I think we've heard most of it. But what happens at a time like Christmas? What happens to people's mental health how will it be affected um, if they stay home or feel forced to stay within their four walls at Christmas, not see their families, not see their friends? We're going to talk now with uh, Professor Keith Dobson, Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Calgary. And uh, Dr. Dobson, thank you very much for coming on the air. You have made depression um, a particular interest of yours, academic interest of yours. How would you describe, is there a way to describe the general mindset of people in this country today, a few days before Christmas, particularly if they start to feel, yeah, I'm going to be forced to stay inside. Well, thank you for the invitation to be here first, Roy. Um, I guess I would say in two words uh, that the two emotions that come to mind are going to be loneliness and grief. Um, you know, I think loneliness first in the sense, obviously, of being isolated, either you know within a family or sometimes just simply alone. And so people are going to feel that sense of isolation, especially since for many people the holidays, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas, is often a time of increased social activity. And so people will feel disappointed by that and will feel lonely. And then the other is the sense of grief again, this idea that things that we want or hope could happen won't happen this year. 
So, so the sense of loss and grief associated with that. Is this a double whammy of potential mental health threat components? Um, we've been watching in the mental health community uh, throughout the year to see what kinds of effects are happening, and we've actually seen, like you were just saying in the introduction, a number of negative mental health consequences. So rates of anxiety, rates of depression have approximately doubled, uh, again, depending on the survey you look at. We also know that more people are turning to substances. Uh, people, on average, are putting on weight, not, not getting the exercise that they need. Uh, there's more domestic concerns or domestic violence issues. Children are suffering, like you said. So, so we actually recognize it's not just a double whammy. I would say it's probably more like a four or five fold whammy. Now you've stayed away from the word. I want to stay away from the word. I don't want to say it, but I've heard it and it's been brought up by guests that people actually have uh, suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. Again, I've not seen formal numbers on this uh, particular issue, but certainly I've heard that the crisis lines are getting more calls these days, and there's no doubt there's probably increased hopelessness. And hopelessness is the major psychological factor associated with suicidal thinking. We've really learned, or I guess we've learned, and we are learning how social we are as uh, we're social animals. Absolutely. And and in fact, I've said in some other interviews that one of the well-known, well-established risk indicators for depression in particular is actually social isolation or or physical distancing, social distancing. So this was known well before the pandemic. When the pandemic first came and people started to have to do physical distancing, an increase in depression was definitely predicted, and we're now seeing that. Uh, Dr. Dobson, how would you recommend people deal with the emotions they're going to feel the inevitable uh, negative emotions many are going to feel how do you deal with it yeah well so i one of the nice things i think about the pandemic if i can put it that way paradoxically is that we now have a lot of well-developed and evidence-based uh, guidelines and suggestions for how to manage uh, the issues so one of them for example is um although we have to do physical distance and follow follow good public health guidance we don't have to social distance and i've never been using the word social distancing in my own uh, language when i talk about these issues because we are social animals like you just said so I think one of the things we need to do is figure out the best ways and as many different ways as we can to reach out to others and to stay in contact. Uh, so, for example, in our family, we're doing a virtual open house on, on Boxing Day as a way of having people. Uh, just before I came on the air today, I'm writing a letter to friends and colleagues around the world that I'll be uh, editing and sending out to different people over the next few days. So there are ways that, you know, again, technology can allow us to keep in contact. So that's what's the one I would definitely say. Okay. Another one I would say is, the, and the main issue right now is to check our expectations. Um, it's pretty clear this is not going to be a normal year. Uh, my own prediction is that when we look back on the Christmas or the, the holiday season of 2020, we'll look at it as one of the worst in our lives, if not the actual worst. And so I think we need to lower our expectations and hopefully be less disappointed than we would be otherwise. So, so those are a couple of things right off the top. I have more if you want. Yeah, no, I, I actually, yeah, yeah, please. But I have this question for you. Mm-hmm. What about people who will say, and we know it's going to happen, I'm not doing that. I'm going to see my family because I don't know if we'll all still be here next Christmas. I've seen that quite often, actually, by way of communication from people do you understand that sentiment? Oh, absolutely. I, I understand the, the impetus and the desire to be with others and even the, what I would call, recklessness associated with that, you know, sort of like even if I have to suffer negative consequences, then I'll be willing to live with that. But I guess what I would say to people who take that attitude, that it's not just yourself who's potentially going to suffer. Of course, it's the other people that you're with. And, you know, worst case scenario, if you were to spread COVID-19 to people you care about or love, how would you feel? You know, so, so again, I think taking the perspective about what others are going to benefit or not benefit from that contact would be important. What about kids? How resilient are they, really? Um, I'm mostly worried for two age ranges. One is sort of in the four to six year old age range. These are children that are often first sort of identifying themselves or sort of forming their social identity in their relationship to other people. And so that no doubt is 
uh, disturbed process right now because they don't have the normal kinds of interactions. And then the other age group is the teenagers, you know, people who are starting to mate and date, you know, sort of, again, forming their social identity. So those are, I think, two particularly vulnerable groups. Uh, in general, people are resilient, though, um, and people, you know, will, I think, cope reasonably well, if, especially, again, if they were coping well before. Um, but there are a couple of age groups in particular that I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's up to parents, again, and families as much as they can to provide a supportive um, place for children and to give the children, again, a chance to talk about their anxiety or their own feelings about this in a supportive way so that those can be recognized. And again, if necessary, if, you know, if their concerns are, are more serious, that they potentially get help either from their parents or other people. One more question for you, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Dobson. If the pandemic were to drag on, and uh, the messaging were to become more dire, more alarming, and people were ordered to not circulate even months down the road from now, and that's not an impossible scenario. And then what happens likely. to... In fact, in, in fact, I think that scenario is likely, but go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Well, what happens to psychological equilibrium then, and particularly if the money runs out? Yes. So we're, we're going to be in this uh, funny conundrum, I think, you know, in the months coming. You, you talked again in the opening about how there's a sense of optimism now that, you know, people are starting to see the vaccines getting rolled out and, you know, hoping that, you know, they'll have an impact very quickly. But they won't. Um, you know, we know from uh, public health guidance, again, that we need approximately 70 percent of the population to be immune before the virus is likely going to start breaking down. And that's not going to happen for a while. So even under the best delivery scenarios we're looking at, you know, well into 2021 before we get anywhere near that. So even though people are vaccinated and even as the rates hopefully start to come down, you know, by March or so, uh, people are going to have to continue to engage in physical distancing rules and regulations. So I hope we all are are sort of being realistic with ourselves again about, you know, what we can expect. My own prediction is we won't see, and again, this is based not on my, my numbers, but what I've heard is that we won't see a significant change in public health policies probably until the latter part of 2021. So, so I think we need to be ready for those kinds of long-term uh, rollout. The economic impact is going to be huge. Um, we've already seen it in terms of federal government spending and you know, health care costs and lost jobs and lost opportunities, and it's going to continue for the next foreseeable months. So, uh, I feel like I'm being a Grinch here. No, 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 you're but, not. But I'm, I'm trying to be realistic, I think, you know, so that yeah, people can adjust their expectations. It helps. And, uh, and again, I think the one thing that people can do at this time is to take um, the holiday season, if they get a break especially, to reflect on what has been important to them and what will be important to them in the coming year and beyond. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.